United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. talk a little bit about Afghanistan and its crumbling economy after the Taliban takeover. Can the economy survive? Dr. William Byrd is a development economist uh, from Harvard University and a master's degree also in Asian regional studies. He's a senior expert at the U.S. United States Institute of Peace, and he's here to talk to me about uh, the Afghan economy. Dr. Byrd, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Looking forward to it. Well, you talk about, you know, how basically the Taliban's rapid and complete victory over Afghanistan is another shock to the the people and the weak economy. I mean, you know, despite the billions of dollars that the U.S. has invested in Afghanistan, the economy over the years, the economy is, is still, you know, horrible, plagued by insecurity, COVID, corruption, government over centralization and management. Um, so does the Taliban have any chance of, of rebuilding the economy? It's going to be really hard. Uh, the uh, economy is weak now, but it's facing an, a, a, a catastrophe. And uh, so it will be uh, very tough. And uh, I would say the uh, picture does not look good now. Compared to the 1990s, when the Taliban took over Kabul, that was largely destroyed and already largely depopulated. Right now, the Afghan people and the economy have a lot farther to fall than they did when the previous time the Taliban were in charge. I mean, let's first, we'll talk about what the international community could do, but let's first start talking about the Taliban. I mean, these, you know, there's this kind of stereotype. And I mean, you know, obviously that could be true for, you know, the foot soldiers and the rank and file on the ground, but like, you know, originally the Taliban started years ago as as kind of like, um, you know, kind of uh, manipulating trade routes and such in Afghanistan. So they understand manufacturing and they understand from my my understanding from talking to um, you know experts on the ground that they're not completely neophytes when it comes to economic matters. I think in. Uh... They're fundamentally pro-private sector, I would argue, particularly they're used to trade and transport, like you said, and security of transport, security of uh, transactions. I think where they run into problems is uh, with things like the banking system, with uh, formal international trade, and perhaps most of all with navigating the aid community and more more, uh, challenging financial transactions. So... They do have uh, some instincts which are uh, pro-private sector. In fact, I've argued in the past that they've, they, in many ways, or in some ways at least, they're more pro-private sector than uh, large parts of the Afghan government. But that's not going to get them very far in the current situation. All right. So let's talk about, first. firstly, um, you know, the government, the previous government, core institutions are in a disarray, suffering from this brain drain. You know, a lot of people have fled the country, obviously, government workers, qualified technical and professional staff. Um, So there's a large displacement crisis, you know, more dislocation and refugee flight. Government workers don't even want to come to work because they're afraid of retribution. So, you know, you know, and then you have this disruption to the revenue and aid 
um, and the coffers are empty. So, so talk to me about the kind of situation that this new government is coming in and dealing with. Well, one of the main signs of government uh, legitimacy in the past has been uh, being able to pay civil servants. And in the 1990s, the Taliban couldn't manage to do that much. They're coming into a situation where uh, civil servants, uh, and civil servants, I should add, include teachers and people like that, uh, have not been paid or are not being paid. And so I think uh, they're they're coming into a a fiscal crisis, and there's no immediate uh, end to it in sight. The point about uh, people fleeing the country is very valid, and even if the Taliban pursued very good policies in terms of uh, in terms of the economy and the, and the public finances, it would not be, uh, they would still face difficulties because of loss of human capacity. So obviously kind of stopping women from, you know, and I, I think of um, what's going on in Saudi Arabia. I mean, obviously these are two governments that, you know, we have a lot of criticism for their um, treatment of their people, but in terms of looking at, you know, the economy, one of the reasons that, um, the regime in Saudi Arabia started allowing women to leave the house without a guardian and uh, allowing some more protections for women is because they saw and opening up the country a little bit more liberally is because they saw the economic benefits, right, of, you know, half the population working, you know, especially a young growing population that's not relying so much on oil revenue. Um, they saw the economic benefits of liberalization. Do you, you know, how do you, how do you talk to the Taliban about that? Well, I actually think the economic argument is a better one to make. And uh, if it gets into ideological or, you know, rights-based arguments, it's going to be tougher. But I think the economic argument is, is very sound. So many uh, women in Ka- so many families in Kabul depend on women for a part of or, or a lot of or most of their livelihoods. If you just cut them off from working, it, it, it's a big economic uh, blow. Um, but many, many of the teachers are uh, women, and so on and so on. So I think those those arguments might uh, might uh, at, uh, at least uh, try to make some progress in, in that regard, which is a very sensitive issue, as you know. Okay, so the Fed has frozen all of Afghanistan's foreign exchange reserves. Um, that's about seven billion. Um, that means the central bank has no ability to manage, you know, the exchange rate and other reserves. The IMF has also frozen their access to resources. Um, so, and, and, you know, other donor countries, you know, are kind of freezing up their money. How do you, you know, obviously Afghanistan is going to be on the, you know, brink of, of fiscal collapse. But at the same time, you kind of understand the international community's, you know, desire to, you know, hold the Taliban accountable for, for um, you know, guaranteeing human rights, allowing other people freedom of travel. How do you balance that economically? It's a real challenge. And just to add to your point, basically, uh, total aid to Afghanistan, not talking about the accounts that are frozen, everything is on the order of uh, 20 to $30 million a day. And there's just no sign of that. That's disappeared, plus the revenue has been lost. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, in terms of sanctions, it's, it's very common in international experience that sanctions hurt the people of a country, and they 
sometimes don't hurt the government, particularly if it's not undemocratic and non-responsive to uh, to people's pain. So I think the uh, the challenge for sanctions really is is how to target them at the targets, but not hurt too much the Afghan people in the process. It, there, uh, this is not easy in any country, but in Afghanistan, given the high dependence on aid. Uh, the uh, the challenge is even greater. Uh, really creative solutions will be needed to to fine tune uh, or flex or, or make flexible some of these sanctions so that they don't hurt the people of Afghanistan too much. Uh, one small example, two two examples already. One is the uh, uh, license given for humanitarian aid, so that's exempt from sanctions. And the other one was that uh, Western Union and MoneyGram are, again, allowed to make transit, uh, uh, transfers of money from people in America or around the world who want to send money to relatives or things like that. So, so you know, there, are, there, there needs to be a creative and flexible approach while uh, obviously honoring or, or the sanctions that are in place. I, I don't see the prospect for them to be quickly removed. Well, and also it'd probably just even like, you know, harden the Taliban stance. Dr. William Byrd is a development economist. He's at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Dr. Byrd, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.